pleasure and pain uh, this evening. We will be going to pain rather than pleasure. A few of you will be very disappointed with that choice. But pain is something that we all feel at one time or another. It's that sharp stab that might make it hard to think when it's just pounding your brain, that burning sensation in a limb, that feel of crushed glass being mashed into your back when you've got a kidney stone. It's the dull aches along your nerves and chronic throbbing in your joints. Pain. But what is pain and how do we feel it? How do we experience it even individually? Here to explain pain, Dr. Matt Barton and Dr. Mike Todorovic from Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Good evening, gents. Good Hi, evening, Kelly. Kelly. How are you? Good. Look, we're not in pain, which is good. good. Uh, let's first discuss how pain is different to just touch. Sure. So if we just look at touch, touch is obviously a way for us to understand our internal and external environment. And when we look at touch signals, so for example, if I were to take my index finger and touch the table in front of me, Mm -hmm. I'm stimulating receptors in a neuron and that stimulation travels down my arm into my spinal cord. And then in my spinal cord, it will go straight up into my brain on the same side in which it comes in and goes to the cortex of my brain on the opposing side of the body. Mm. So, why so? So, do we know why it does that? Why it needs to go to the opposite side rather than? Sorry, we had the same question today. Yeah, oh, we okay. asked each other that exact same question, and we actually couldn't come to a definitive answer right. as to why that's the so case. So that's on the podcast, is it? You two yeah. just arguing as to why that yeah. <laughs> why that's the case. I'm glad I asked it. I don't feel so dumb. No, we <laughs> feel so dumb. <laughs> it is a great question. And I'm sure there's an answer to it. But with this touch sensation that comes in, crosses the other side of our brainstem and then goes to the cortex, what you'll find is that the cortex of our brain, the most external aspect, there's actually a map of our body on the brain. And so there's a specific part of my brain that's mapped for my fingers and my arm and then my torso and legs and so forth. And this map is the proportional size of that map is determined by how many receptors are present in certain parts of my body. So Mm -hmm. areas such as my fingertips that are very sensitive, there will be a larger part of my brain dedicated to my fingertips. My back, which is quite insensitive, there's a very small part of my brain dedicated to my back. Uh, I think an important point is that if you have a look, that the part of the brain that's mapped to the hand actually sits right next to the part of the brain that's mapped to touch for my face. And Mm. the reason why this is important or can be important is because some individuals who lose a limb, lose their arm, for example, well, what happens is they've lost that sensory uh, neuron at the end of their hand. But the rest of the neurons are still present and the part of the brain that's mapped to the hand is also still present, but it now no no longer receives any information. So it's sort of sitting there going, I'm starving for some info, Mm. something come in. And so this is where neuroplasticity comes into play because your brain loves to receive sensory stimulus. It will start to have conversations in the brain with neighboring neurons. And I said that the hand is mapped on the brain is next to the part that's mapped to the face. Mm. And so those neurons can start talking to the neurons of the face. And what can sometimes happen in individuals who have lost their limb is you can rub down the side of their face and ask them what they're feeling. And they can say, well, I feel you touching my face, but now I also feel you touching my index finger, my middle finger and my ring finger, because the neurons are now having a conversation with each other due to neuronal plasticity. Oh, 
That's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Doesn't happen in, in all amputation cases, mm. but there have been recorded cases of this. When does touch go to pain then? At what point do we say, mm, that's no longer touch, that's that's pain? Yeah, well, well, I mean, going back for the previous episodes, we've spoken about other types of stimulus like vision, hearing, taste, smell, mm. and they're kind of things that are, are real in the outside world. But when we talk about pain, it's not really a stimulus in the outside world. So it's actually a perception that we make of a mechanical stimulus. So when we think of pain, it can be perceived on a on a receptor that's just about pretty crude sense of touch. So instead of touching your finger with a, a feather, which is potentially pleasant, ple- pleasant mm. you're doing it with a fairly rough end of a end of a a pen, let's say. Yep. And that, if you keep going with it, can elicit a, a noxious response, which is something we call nociception. And then there's also degrees of temperature that can also be received as potentially painful. So mm. in, a, in a spectrum of temperature, we want to perceive it not to cause tissue injury, but if we start to go over, say, 45 degrees and it can move to the point it's going to boil our finger, we're going to start to receive it as a noxious or painful stimulus. So certain things that potentially will cause tissue injury, will the brain will process it or understand it as a a painful or a noxious stimulus. And so instead of feeling something pleasant, uh, like vibrational touch or any kind of smooth touch or rough touch, something that's potentially going to cause a painful or Mm. uh, damaging sense is going to be perceived by the brain as a bad thing. Uh, we, we have talked about some of the, uh, the senses having a, a super element to them, like super people who see, you know, more colours or mm. super tasters. Any such thing as a super toucher that we know about? Well, you might go to prison if you are a super, okay, well, don't be inappropriate super, super toucher. Well, <laughs> people who can perceive. Well, people lose their, their, their sight. Yeah. They can read Braille. Mm-hmm. And so instead of using your occipital lobe for your vision, they would start to use that for mechanical stimulus. And so, But is that an, an element of super touch or just that you have, have learned a skill that you didn't need pr- previously? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Yeah. I, well, I, I, think it's, I think it's, again, a learnt thing that mm. happens. Um, I, I think to reiterate a point that Matt was making, which I think is really important, is that when we look or when we think about the other senses that are coming in, you know that, okay, a particular wavelength of light should give you a particular perception in the brain for vision. Mm. A particular decibel sound should give you a particular sort of hearing perception as well. But when it comes to painful stimulus, I may uh, pinch Matt and then I may pinch you Mm. and I should say, okay, well, I pinched you both the same, it should elicit at least a similar pain response. But we cannot be sure at all because pain is 100% at the perceptual level in the brain. Mm. So n- not to uh, play D- down, downplay. mm. d- downplaying people's experiences of pain and say, oh, it's all in your head. But in actual fact, pain is all in your head <laughs> because it's all at the level of perception because when a painful stimulus comes in it's been modified at every level so mm. when you get a painful stimulus at your finger it's been modified there it gets modified at your spinal cord so it may be amplified or dampened when it gets to your brain stem amplified or dampened when it gets to the cortex amplified or dampened and so you've got all these different things happening and that's why you've got such variability when it comes to pain because it's the most subjective 
one of the most subjective medical experiences you're going to go through. I mean, mm. it's the main reason why people go to see their doctor. 70% of people who are going into hospitals because of some sort of pain, pain. that they're experiencing, and it's so subjective. What are some of the common medications we have to treat pain? So that all depends on the type the of pain. And the pathway yep. involved. And the pathway involved. So if you have a look at uh, comparing touch to pain and compare those two pathways just very quickly, you'll see that when the touch signal comes in, it goes from your finger, for example, into your spinal cord and goes up the same side of the spinal cord and then crosses over at the brainstem to go to the other side. Mm. Pain is different. If you were to prick that same finger with a pin, for example, and elicit a painful stimulus, it actually travels through different neurons. So it doesn't go via the same track that it does for touch, totally different. And so it goes, still goes down my arm into my spinal cord, mm -hmm. but at the level in which it came in, it jumps across to the other side and then goes up to my brain, which means that touch and pain, even though it's both elicited at my fingertip, will go up to my brain on different sides of the spinal cord. Mm. And this is actually, um, again, the reason why we have no idea, or well, at least Matt and I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but this is important when it comes to certain uh, injuries that people can sustain. For example, um, in car accidents, mm. some people may get a spinal cord injury and it may only be on, only on one side of the spinal cord. Now, what that means is if you've got an injury only on one side of the spinal cord that's damaged, it's going to affect only on one side of the body the touch compared to the pain. As opposed to the other side, it's going to affect vice versa. Mm. And so you can assess below the level of injury using an ice cube, for example, for, yep. because pain and temperature piggyback each other to go to the brain. They use the same pathway, but touch uses a different pathway. And so you can use an ice cube and determine where they do and do not feel temperature on which side of the body below the level of injury, and then just gently touch them and see where it's different. And that will tell you where the level of injury is and what side the injury is. That, that must happen so quickly that, that your body decides uh, what is going to be painful and what is going to be not a painful, like, like a quick, if I was to, you know, s stab my finger with a knife mm. or very, let's go compass end, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. something like that, bang, that, you know, at what point does the pressure become, you know, no, it's just the pressure of the compass hitting my the pad of my finger and when is it actually drawing blood and all oh, that really hurt, why did I do that to myself? You know, th that, that's got to be almost instantaneous, doesn't hey, we, it? Or, or is have... your brain going... Looking at that and going, yeah, you better prepare for some pain because this is going to hurt. Well, that does happen yeah. as well. We have primitive reflexes. So if you mm -hmm. were to be cooking and you reach back and put your hand on the stove, yep. you would have moved it off before you actually felt the pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's just kind of synapsing at your spinal cord level before it goes up to the brain to tell you, okay, now I've done this, stupid mm -hmm. me, yep. or swearing or getting angry or crying. Mm -hmm. So you've already moved it out of the way to save yourself. Yep. But the pain will travel much slower. So a good, a good analogy is like if you're walking to the toilet at night or, the, you know, mm. you got out of bed and you kick your toe, the first thing you'll notice is you've kicked your toe yes. and then the pain will come. So mm. the pain will arrive much slower because it's probably less important than sensing your environment. And so mm. touch does travel much quicker than, than pain does. Mm. All right. So we think it's at the same time, but it's not. There's actually yeah, a there delay. Is a gap. Yes. And then, and then mm. the slower... So slower travelling pain can then bring in a different effect, which is that kind of throbbing, constant mm. pain that just stays around for days or weeks. Yep. And then that could potentially manifest into a, a chronic state, which is, 
you know, something that we really want to avoid. Yeah. So usually we say three different types of stimuli mm -hmm. trigger pain. So it's mechanical stimulus, mm -hmm. thermal stimulus, and chemical stimulus. Now, mechanical stimulus, we know that mechanical stimulus is also there for touch. And so what we have is what called high, called high threshold mechanical stimulus. So it basically means you need to provide a very strong amount of force in order to stimulate pain receptors. Yeah instead of just stimulating touch receptors. But the same with temperature. So you need to go above or below the n normal range for just touch and then for chemical as well. All right. So the common medications, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah that's right. <laughs> that's the question that. you asked about 10 minutes yeah, ago. No, 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 that's all good. Well, you can, what are they? You can go back to the, the etiology of the cause of the injury. Mm -hmm. So a lot of painkillers work around the tissue injury, so the inflammation. And so things like paracetamol or ibuprofen mm. or nurofen, they're anti-inflammatories and they take away the swelling and all the chemicals associated with inflammation. And then you can go to the more short-term but heavy pains um, where you'd have quite a significant injury, but it's short-term and that mm -hmm. could be the opiate bases like the morphines. Mm. And then if you've got long-standing chronic pain, then you might use things that will change the threshold of pain reception, like... Um, anti-epileptic drugs that bring down the th threshold or sometimes even um, antidepressant-style medication that changes kind of the neurotransmitters. Mm. And so it really depends on the pain type, how long it's been around for and what's the cause of the pain. So for those people who do have chronic pain, do they become, uh, I don't think immune's the word, but do, do, is there a cushioning effect after they've been using those drugs for a long time of, of how much pain they have to experience for the drugs to work um that that they will need you know more drugs for the amount of pain that they were in it's very difficult because when you look at pain you can sort of break it up into two different types uh what we call a nociceptive pain which is just you know when you um get a a cut, for example, mm. you stimulated pain receptors, that's a nociceptive pain, usually short term, and you'll experience the pain for the time in which you've had the injury, and then the pain will disappear. Now, that's also in the acute phase, which is usually pain that lasts less than three months. In the chronic phase, well, this is a bit different, and it can be termed neuropathic because there's something happening with your nervous system is re rewiring or has been damaged. Mm. And usually if you don't manage that short-term pain, it can result in long-term pain. So pain is one of those things different to the other senses uh, in that, for example, if, if when you wake up in the morning, you put your socks on, you feel your socks for the first five seconds of the day, then you don't mm. feel it for the rest of the day. So you become True. desensitized. Same thing happens to sounds in a room or smells in a room. You become mm. desensitized. Pain is the total opposite. You become sensitized to pain. So when you experience pain, the best thing to do is try and mitigate it and get rid of it. Mm. Do, it's, it's not going to make you stronger. And experiencing pain is not going to make you uh, become stronger to the pain. In actual mm. fact, the opposite's going to happen. And so when you become sensitized, yeah. what that simply means is that it's easier for pain neurons to fire off. And sometimes mm -hmm. innocuous stimulus, such as just simple touch, could trigger a pain response. And that's called mm. allodynia, when something that shouldn't be painful becomes painful. Mm -hmm. um, or even hyperalgesia, in which something that... Uh, elicits a small amount of pain becomes very painful and so all of this depends on the types of medications that you use so um, the longer you've had chronic pain usually results in more chronic pain mm. and so 
what you'll find is that the NSAIDs, which Matt was talking about, which are the anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen, uh, paracetamol, um, aspirin and so forth, they don't seem to work very well for this chronic pain. They seem to mm. work relatively well for this mild to moderate acute pain. Um, if you've got this severe acute pain, then you use those opiates. But if you've got this long-term pain, that's when you sort of start moving towards the anticonvulsants and antidepressant medications. All right. Um, does the brain feel pain? Technically, no. So... Uh, a lot of neuro- but also yes, because it's the only place that feels pain, right? Well, I mean, if you if you, if you <laughs> <laughs> well, it interprets the pain. Yeah, Does it yes. feel the pain? <laughs> so a lot of a lot of neuroscience mapping was done with um, the patient being awake and mm-hmm. their skull being open, and the surgeon kind of just zapping parts of the brain. And this is kind of how, as Mike explained, how we mapped out the body. So by mm. zapping cert- certain parts of the cortex, you know, the finger might move or you might feel yeah. some kind of stimulus there. But technically, if you zap the brain throughout, it won't actually be painful to the brain. So, like you said, it generally won't feel pain, but we can still get migraines and headaches. Mm. And so, the question is, what are you actually feeling in that sense? So, there's probably three or four main structures in your head area that would elicit a painful stimulus. Mm-hmm. One of the most common ones are the, um, the blood vessels. Yep. And so when they get um, dilated or sensitized, they have their own little um, nerves wrapped around them. And so this is where you'll get the throbbing headache. Uh-huh. And so every time a blood... The hangover? Well, the hangover... Is that the hangover of the blood vessels or is that lack of water? Or Yeah, that's probably more dehydration. That? Yep. It's probably a combination of the alcohol as mm-hmm. a toxin and the lack of... Um, um, hydration from the from the, mm-hmm. the drinking and so if you depress so either squash in the brain or push too much pressure in the brain it's got a covering before you get to the skull so you have the brain and then you have this covering that they call the meninges mm-hmm. and if that gets compressed or um, pushed upon that's highly painful as well and that's how you get a, a very bad headache like meningitis yeah so that will present with a really mm. bad headache like the worst headache ever and you'll have a very stiff neck because it's kind of connected d- down into the spinal cord. But with if you were to take um, some fluid out of the brain, which they call CSF or cerebral spinal fluid, just by taking maybe 10 to 20 mils out, it causes a huge headache. And so it's probably thought that in our, you know, a hangover is probably mm. a, a loss in that high, hydration state. Yep. And you can actually see sometimes in children, newborns, you know how you have that kind of soft spot at the front of their skull? Yeah. If that's kind of depressed out, that means that they've probably got a condition like hydrocephalus, which is too much fluid in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it sags in, they potentially are hydrate, uh, dehydrated, which is a method of assessing the hydration state of a newborn is by mm. that. And that would be highly painful. What about migraines? What, what are they? In, what's happening then? They're still uh, working with the, the vasculature. So mm-hmm. it's basically thought that some kind of stressful... Um, stimulus or situation like emotional or um, work or something has caused a response it's perceived in the brain and then there's a mismanagement with the way that the blood vessels are reacting probably causes a a vasospasm or a vasoconstriction which means the blood vessels become too small and the brain probably is and the structures are starved of oxygen and that causes another response which becomes the painful response Mm. and then that causes the severe pain in 
a migraine. It's not really known the mechanism behind it, but it's thought to be a vascular origin. And that can be precluded with maybe an aura or nausea or photophobia yeah. to start with, and then it can sometimes last days. Mm. So it's thought to be around the vessels. ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland with Kelly Higgins-Devine. This is The Human Body. And joining me, Dr. Matt Barton and Dr. Mike Todorovic from Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. And this evening we're talking about pain. Um, We we talked a little bit about phantom limb pain. What about referred pain where the pain is happening uh, somewhere else uh, in your body and yet you're feeling it uh, in your wherever, in your shoulder or wherever it might be feeling it. So if you have a look at the viscera or the organs within your body, you'll Mm. find that they actually experience pain a different way than what we call subcutaneously we feel pain. So, you know, under the skin and and the Mm -hmm. muscles and so forth. So as an example, our heart will not respond to any sort of mechanical pain. So you, you can punch your heart. It's, it's not going to elicit any pain response, but it will elicit a pain response due to ischemia, which is a lack of oxygen coming to the heart. Uh-huh. Um, f- your intestines, you can cut and slice and crush your intestines. You're not going to feel any pain at all, but you'll feel pain when your intestines distend. So if there's too much gas inside. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing is that because of where they're located, You'll find that if you, for example, if we take the the heart, for example, and take a heart attack, a lot of people say they get shoulder pain, neck pain Mm. um, when they have a heart attack. Left arm pain. Left arm pain. And the reason why is because the nerves that are coming so that the pain, the nerves associated with pain for the heart need to go from the heart into the spinal cord and then from the spinal cord to the brain so that you're aware of the pain. Where the nerves from the heart go into the spinal cord there's going to be other nerves from other parts of the body going into the same at the same level of the spinal cord. And if you've got a painful stimulus coming in coming from the heart, it's going to release all these chemicals in the spinal cord. And what that does is it sensitizes all the other neurons that are there, mm-hmm. such as those coming from the arm and from the neck, for example, and it tricks them into thinking that they're experiencing a painful stimulus. And so all of this goes to the brain and your brain thinks, oh, I'm getting a painful stimulus coming from this level of my spinal cord. It could be the heart, it could be the shoulder, it could be the arm. And so the same thing happens, for example, with the appendix. So the appendix sits in your right lower abdominal quadrant. And when you have an appendicitis-based pain, first of all, you probably feel it as this non-specific pain near your umbilical cord, for example. Mm. Umbilical cord, yeah. Umbilicus, umbilicus. right? Yeah. Um, so I don't have one of those. No, no. <laughs> My, yeah, no I probably should have got rid of mine a while ago. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I've just admitted something embarrassing. <laughs> it's never going to fall off that thing. <laughs> but the same thing happens. That will go into your spinal cord at a particular level, but yep. so will the area of the umbilicus go into your spinal cord at the same level and then it's thinking that the pain is coming from there and there and another place as well and goes to your brain. That seems ineffective. For something that's so serious, it seems like mm, design fault, Yeah, to be honest. It's also got to do with the types of fibres as well. So yep. there's two main pain fibres that send signals to your pr- brain and Matt alluded to them earlier. There's a, a, a fibre which goes more quickly to the brain mm-hmm. and a fibre that goes more slowly. So yep. the one that goes quickly is the one that when you do stub your toe, it's that sharp fast mm. pain that you feel straight away, but it disappears pretty quickly. Yeah. And then you've got that dull, aching, throbbing pain, and that's the slower one that mm. g- gets to your brain. It seems to be that we have more of those slow pain fibers in our viscera as well. 
And so okay. that's why it's experienced not as a sharp pain necessarily, but more as a dull, aching mm. pain that's not specific. You don't know exactly where it's coming from, but it's coming from a particular area. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned before that back, the back area doesn't have a lot of receptors, but yet back pain is probably one of the, the things that we, we experience, especially as we get a bit older. Um, more and more and more. So what's yeah. happening there? Is it a lower back issue? Well, what I was referring or? to more so was um, your back, the, the skin of your back yeah. uh, has very uh, has a very low density of neurons. Okay. Um, and so there's something called two-point discrimination. So if I was to get uh, two pins and mm. I was to get the palm your, of your hand. Yep, your compasses. Yeah, yep. your compasses, and I was to get two of those. <laughs> yeah, I went to a compass rather than a pin. <laughs> That's a bit gross, isn't it, now get that I think about your, it? Get you to put your palm up and yeah. then place those two pins, you know, a couple of centimetres apart from each other and ask you, can you feel two separate pins? You'd mm. say yes. And then I'll keep moving them as close together until you say, oh, I can't discriminate between the two. It feels yeah. as though there's one pin there. You'll find that for your hand, because there's so many neurons there, you'll be millimetres away before it feels like it's only one pin. But mm. if you do it on your back, you could be many, you could be 10 centimetres away from each other and feel as though it's only one pin. So you don't have many sensory neurons in your back. But the pain, well, that pain is more so coming from, potentially, it's musculoskeletal pain. So it's yep. a bit deeper, maybe coming from a, a herniated disc that's compressing on a nerve, for example. Well, the joints in the back, so the vertebra in the back, they kind of uh, touch each other as you move up up or down the back and a lot of the times they can be stiff or um, mm. problematic and then your your muscles that kind of run up besides the vertebra, they become kind of spasmodic to try and protect those joints mm. and they can um, cause sometimes more pain than you think they're good. Yeah. Why do we have different pain thresholds? Because I'm assuming that we do, that some people seem to be able to um, experience pain and and not it not worry them in a way that other people can experience a little bit of pain and for whatever reason, they're very, very sensitive to it. What's so, going on there? So there's pain threshold and pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at pain threshold, first of all, there, there are differences. There's actually especially differences between males and females. Mm -hmm. Seems to be females do tend to ex experience more pain, uh, seek uh, more uh, analgesic medications. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why may be for many particular reasons, okay. not necessarily Living sure. with men, mate. Well, <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, send your emails to higginsdivine.kelly and I'll be sent I support to you. To complain about my sexism. I feel sorry for my wife, so I, I, I totally agree. Um, but what, what we'll find overall is if, if we were to separate that out, because obviously there is a difference there. Yep. Um, but if I were to get a room of 100 women, for example, or 100 men, yep. and I were to get an ice bucket for each one mm. of them, and I were to get them all to put their hand into an ice bucket at around about the same time and then ask them, okay, I want you to put your hand, the other hand up when you first experience pain, not when it's unbearable, just when you first say, this is painful. Mm. You'll find that everyone will pretty much put their hand up at around about the same time. Okay. So ev everyone's pain threshold is similar, but their pain tolerance is, is different. So mm. then if I were to ask them, 
Now I want you to see how long you can last in that bucket until it becomes unbearable. Then pull your hand out. That's when some people will pull it out straight away. Some people will be 20, 30, 40 minutes. Mm. And so this tolerance has to do with many different reasons. It has to do with the way pain's modulated at every different level getting to the brain, like I said before. But also because pain is ultimately at the at the perceptual level, has to do with your emotions at any moment in time, mm. cultural background, um, just how you're feeling generally. Um, all these types of things play a role. You can distract if you're distracted or not, whether yeah. you're thinking about something else. All these types of things play a role in how well you tolerate pain. But so toleration of pain seems to be more psychosocial and threshold of pain seems to be more physiological. Do we know if uh, animals experience pain in the same way we do? That's hard to say because we can't really get into their head. But we know they react to pain or a mm. noxious stimulus and avoid it. Yep. All the way down to, I mean, fish. Mm-hmm. So fish will, um, if they're injected with certain, say, acids, which mm. also chemically causes pain, they will rub their... So if they're injected into their lip, they will rub their lip against a rock or stop eating. Yep. Uh, and then if they're put into a uh, another tank that's got some analgesia in it, they'll, they'll kind of come right and they'll mm. lose that behaviour. And even if you go, say, down to plants, we know that plants don't have a nervous system, but if they start to get um, damaged, so they get eaten, their mm. caterpillar starts eating their leaves, they'll release pheromones like chemicals out into the air to maybe even warn the, the neighbouring plants that there are some tissue damage issues going on here. Wow. So they're not necessarily feeling pain, but they know that something's going wrong. M. Night Shyamalan wasn't as far off as <laughs> <laughs> not my favourite movie after no, <laughs> not at all scientifically accurate, but still it's food for thought. That's right. <laughs> um, it's been great to be talking about what is a very serious subject and kind of not nice at all when we're going through pain. Yeah. But thank you very much, Dr Matt. Thanks Dr. for having Mike. us. Thank you for having us. And the podcast is Dr Matt and Dr Mike's Medical Podcast. <laughs>